everyone. Welcome to TEDx UWA Thursdays on the UWA Alumni Voices podcast. I am Maitri Manikim, the current secretary and past speaker resources officer for TEDx UWA. TEDx UWA is a student-run organization which hosts TED-like talks on ideas that are relevant to students and staff at the University of Eastern Australia. We have now teamed up with the UWA Young Alumni Network to continue the inspiring conversations by our UWA alumni speakers after their TEDxUWA talk. Every fortnight, a TEDxUWA member will bring a UWA graduate that has previously spoken at a TEDxUWA event to discuss their experiences as a speaker and what they've been up to since their talk. If you're interested in attending a TEDxUWA event, we'll be hosting a TEDxUWA salon, Little Grey Cells, next Thursday at 6pm. You can find out more on our Facebook and Instagram pages. For this episode, I am joined by Georgia Hare. Georgia finished her Bachelor of Science and Honours in Psychology and went on to complete her PhD on the interplay between social cognitions and the design of work. She has continued to conduct applied research in this area in her current role as a postdoctoral research associate at the Curtin University Future of Work Institute. In her spare time, Georgia trains Red Cross volunteers in psychological first aid, and sings soprano in Perth Undergraduate Choral Society. She spoke for us at the 2017 TEDxUWA Annual Conference. Hi Georgia, how are you doing? Not bad, thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming in. So you were one of our conference speakers at TEDxUWA in 2017. For the listeners who haven't had the chance to hear you talk, could you please summarize what your talk was on about? Sure. Um, so as you mentioned before, um, my background is in psychology and management, um, which essentially just means I get to look and study, um, study people in the workplace and look at that from a psychological perspective. Um, so I approach this topic of the future of work from that um, background in psychology and our understanding in psychology of um, how the working world is changing, what different skills are needed, um, and how we can best support individuals and organisations to make that transition. Um, so essentially, what I put forward in my, in my TEDx UWA talk was um, saying, hey, you know, it's really important that we consider what jobs will, um, I suppose, disappear, for want of a better word. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really also important to consider the large proportion of jobs that they're not, where they won't disappear, but they will change. Um, And that rather than considering that from a very passive perspective um, and thinking about how technology will change our work, let's consider the role that we have in making decisions about the design of work. Um, And so what I focused on in the talk was a very specific example of a project that um, that I've been working on during my PhD and continue to work on now um, on the West Australian Undiagnosed Diseases Program. Um, And essentially what this program does I think is very much typical of what we're going to increasingly see in organizations. So these clinicians and it's this team of individuals who come together to try and find a diagnosis for a patient who has a very, very complex and very, very rare disease. Um, And so these, you know, there'll be very, um, you know, one in a million type diagnoses or type prevalence. But when you think about all these rare diseases together, they actually affect a lot of people. Um, you know, millions of Australians um, have a rare disease. But when you have a patient who presents to the clinic, trying to figure out which of the 10,000 different rare diseases they have is an incredibly complex task. 
So what I talked about is how this um, unique approach with a team is much more effective in finding diagnoses for these patients. And that's because the team is multidisciplinary. Um, they get together and they are very creative. And they're also using really cutting edge technology in terms of um, software to help with diagnoses, but also um, cutting edge um, genetic testing technology. And so they come together, they work very collaboratively, very creatively. Um, they're kind of breaking down these specialized silos that we often have in the health system. Um, and so they're very much doing the type of work that is increasingly required in organizations. And so I talked about how this is a great example of not only what teamwork will look like, but also a really great example of a group of individuals who have taken a really proactive approach to harnessing technology um, rather than letting it kind of control our organizations or letting it just kind of happen to us. Um, so yeah, that's what I talked about in my, in my talk. Beautiful, nicely put. Um, so thanks, Georgia. And listeners can actually listen to Georgia's full talk online. There will be a link to the description of this podcast. Now that we've talked about your talk, um, could you take us through the journey of you having an idea and taking that idea to a TEDxUWA stage? How was sure. that for you? Sure. Um, it was a great experience um, and a very challenging one as well, I must say. Um, you know, I often find, you know, the field that I'm in, um, in psychology and in management, where often our work is, you know, very directly linked to what happens on a day-to-day -day basis in organizations, to people's experience. It's very tangible when we're looking at things like teamwork or leadership. Um, whereas you might imagine in other fields of research that are much, um, a bit more um, distance from reality, or you know, you're looking at what's happening in a cell, or you're looking at some sort of theoretical physics concept, but it's a bit harder to make that link to um, to everyone's everyday experience. Mm -hmm. But still, you know, it's still an academic discipline. Um, we still have lots of technical jargon. Um, and so I did find it challenging, definitely, to translate that technical language to something that I hoped was really interesting for people. Um, but I've found it, um, particularly during my PhD experience, when you can get lost in that technical jargon in the academic world, um, I found it really refreshing and such a great experience to be able to kind of step out of that for a little while and, and link what I was doing in my PhD when I really was kind of in the depths of it, um, jump out of that and link it back to, to practice and, and hopefully um, an important impact that, that my research was having um, in helping this particular team to be more successful. Um, so yeah, really challenging experience. Where I would thoroughly recommend it um, for any research, but particularly for PhD students where I think, you know, it's, it's your first experience of doing research and, um, and it can be kind of a little bit overwhelming sometimes and you can kind of get lost <laughs> in it and kind of have those thoughts of why am I doing this? What have I done? Um, so yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend it for um, PhD students as well. Great. Um, I'm glad we gave you such an amazing experience and I'm really <laughs> glad that you've enjoyed it. Definitely. So if you were to go through your whole experience again, what would you say you were a significant takeaways for were in 2017? Um, yeah, so definitely the, the importance, I think, of, of being able to and having time to think about what impact can or is my research having. Um, mm -hmm. Which I think, again, sometimes it can be, you know, not with anyone's ill intent, but just the nature of the system as being very oriented towards, um, historically it's changing, but still very oriented towards publication um, and other metrics of academic success that aren't always linked to tangible impact on the world. 
Um, so yeah, the importance of checking in with that and making sure that, at least for me, I believe that what I'm doing should have a, a really important impact on the world. Um, and I think also it's, again, a kind of somewhat unique to our discipline of being in this psychology management sort of space is that, um, you know, sometimes we can do research that if you were to translate it into more simple language, some people might kind of go, oh, well, duh, of course that's the case. Um, but the importance of making sure that, you know, so we do need to validate the, what, what people's intuitions might be about the best way to manage a team or the best way to lead an organization. We do need to validate them with, with data and evidence, but mm -hmm. also making sure that, that we're kind of orienting our research towards um, practical solutions to some of these problems. So whether it be the importance of how a team is designed when they're trying to diagnose a, a rare disease patient, but what are some of the, um, the practical strategies that they can use either when they're in the meeting or some tweaks that the leader can make to how they're managing the flow of the meeting or when they're considering what the best combination of people to invite to the meeting is. Um, so yeah, just the importance I think of, of considering designing research from the beginning that can have um, practical, tangible takeaways. Mm -hmm. um, which, yeah, when you're trying to articulate these research ideas for, for a more general audience, I think it makes you think about that um, a little bit more deeply. Um, so, yeah, just, just overall a really great opportunity to have a little bit of a pause and reflect on the research I'm doing and the relationship it has with um, kind of just day-to-day -day living. Beautiful. Um, yeah, so the future of work. This has been been thrown around a lot and your talk was mostly about the future of work. Um, so has your understanding of what the future of work is like changed or say deepened since you've given this talk? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think it's always a challenging balance in this whole future of work conversation between, um, you know, we have to speculate and, and build conjectures about what might happen based on what we know and the trends that we've seen happen in the past, whether it be, yeah, number of jobs that, have, that will be automated, um, changes in which industries people will be working in. Um, and I think it's really important, but what I've loved and, and I suppose how my understanding has deepened um, is being here at the Future of Work Institute, we work with a lot of different organizations, either myself directly or my colleagues, um, and I really get to see firsthand um, the, what is actually happening now, um, the challenges that they're facing now, whether it be trying to introduce these new technologies or trying to adapt their organizational models or the way that their teams are structured to use technology better, thinking about how they can um, use specific strategies to target better the skills that they're looking for when they um, recruit people. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been really great and I think that that as well as thinking about these theoretical ideas about what might happen in the future, I've loved um, just hearing the stories of employees, managers and executives who are currently trying to grapple with these changes. Um, yeah, so I think that that's definitely helped to deepen my, um, I suppose, my understanding of what we might see play out over the next sort of 10, 20 years. Awesome. So that is what you're currently working on at Curtin University. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you've told us that uh, you finished your PhD since we've had our talk. Um, congratulations mm -hmm. on that, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. So how does it feel to have graduated and started working in the real world, per se? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. 
um, <laughs> yeah, really, really happy. Um, anyone who I'm sure has done a PhD or is in the middle of it at the moment knows how, um, how challenging it can be, um, you know, technically, but also just personally. Um, for me, it was the first time really doing something that I had quite a lot of, you know, almost complete control over. And I was very lucky to be supported and given that autonomy and that control by my supervisors. Um, yeah, definitely trial by fire. Um, learned so much. Don't regret a thing, but really, really hard. Um, and I love to kind of pick yourself up off the ground and um, keep going and keep trying and, and be adaptable when things change. Um, and also, I think uh, I think this is people who, in particular, who have finished their PhD, will might have had this similar experience where you kind of think that you know to get yourself through, you think that oh, once I finish my PhD. I'll be completely stress-free and all my problems will go away and life will be fantastic and, and life is fantastic. But um, yeah, it, it's still having to adapt a little bit to, um, to continuing, um, you know, I'm continuing to do research, um, which I mm -hmm. love, but is very challenging. Um, but I can definitely see how the skills, the coping mechanisms and also the more proactive mechanisms um, that I learnt in terms of dealing with stress, dealing with ambiguity, um, trying to give structure to an ambiguous situation, um, you know, making my own deadlines when, you know, the work that I do doesn't necessarily have um, not always um, specific deadlines. So, um, so yeah, that's been an interesting experience to go through. Um, and I think overall, I'm just so fortunate that, that now the work that I do, um, I love so much, um, very close to, again, that impact with organisations, um, you know, surrounded by people who are both, very driven and very ambitious but still very very um supportive and friendly and yeah some of my close friends um so yeah it's been a really great experience um yes um so very very, very happy with how things have panned out that's great to hear uh, and you were just talking about how you had a bunch of coping mechanisms throughout your phd um so mm. would you possibly have any advice for current phd students or UWA students who are thinking of doing a PhD? Yeah, um, it's funny. I remember when I started, um, you know, there's always a lot of advice floating around, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And often these are things that are easy to say when you're in my position where you're kind of still basking in the glow of, of the PhD being done and able to look back and see how things could be different. Um, I think there's, there's always going to be, you know, it's never going to be perfect and it always will be hard. But um, I think. There are yeah, two, two main parts to it. One is um, somewhat, um, luck is the wrong word, but just the, that I was so fortunate be, to be surrounded by um, supervisors and colleagues, um, both in terms of, um, uh, you know, when I was a PhD student, being surrounded by other postdoc um, associates or fellows and people kind of all kind of up the, the career ladder as well as other PhD students, um, all of whom were, yeah, again, just friendly, lovely people to be around, um, very supportive, very collaborative, Not none of this sort of super competitive um, environment. Um, so I think it's hard for me, I need to acknowledge that before I think giving any advice because I was very, very lucky and very, very fortunate to have such great supervisors and great colleagues. Um, but if I could give any kind of more um, uh, individual oriented advice, um, I would definitely, as much as the intellectual pursuit part of the PhD is fantastic and something that I would say definitely enjoy that and soak that up that freedom that you have to really dive into an idea and you know read about one thing for weeks on end um, 
I would also encourage people to do keep in mind from day one um, why you're doing your PhD, both in terms of the impact that you want to have in the world, but also in terms of your career. Um, the idea of um, you know doing a PhD purely for the intellectual side of things is, I think, un somewhat unfortunately a bit outdated. Um, you do need to, I think, think about how it's either orienting you um, to for a career in research um, or a different career, um, whether it be um, more in the, the industry side of things, depending on um, the, the field that you're in. So whether so not necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying completely think about a career in research from day one, because that's just not possible for everyone. Um, but yeah, I would encourage people to think about how what you're doing in your PhD and the type of research projects you're doing, also what you're doing extracurricular wise, um, volunteering, um, how all of those things are contributing towards what you want to get and who you want to be at the end. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I did a lot of things that I didn't necessarily do because I thought this is going to make me better at my career. It doesn't have to be like that, but I followed what I was interested and passionate in and found that those things often in the end made me a better researcher. Um, so yeah, I think that's the, some of the advice that I would give. Thank you so much for that. Um, so I can clearly see that you're very passionate about what you're doing. Um, so how would you say you came about this as your career? Like, how did you find this passion for yourself? Yeah, sure. So I was initially interested in clinical psychology, mm -hmm. um, which I think is sort of the type of psychology or what people often associate with um, when they hear psychology, you think about things like depression and anxiety, um, you know, someone lying you down on a couch and saying, how do you feel about that? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is very, you know, is, I mean, that stereotype in particular is a little bit outdated, but um, that, that, that is clinical psychology. That's one part of psychology, but there is a huge range of other industries or areas or situations in which understanding how people think um, how people interact in social settings and how that manifests in particular outcomes. Um, you know, that's applicable to any situation in which you have people. Um, and what are organizations and workplaces, if not groups of people? Um, so essentially, yeah, I started with an interest in clinical psychology, had a really great experience with the undergraduate degree at UWA because clinical psychology was just one unit in a however many other units I completed on social psychology, um, personality psychology, abnormal um, psychology, developmental psychology, all these different areas of psychology, um, and one of which was organizational psychology. And I really liked this idea of, hey, most people are working most of their day, for most of their week, for most of their lives. Um, and here's an opportunity to use principles and theories in psychology so that people don't dread going to work. And so, yeah, there are always going to be things that are a bit tough about work or things that maybe you don't necessarily look forward to. But when we understand the levers we can pull so that people are challenged and excited and fulfilled at work and have really great experiences working with teams that just have that sense of flow and come up with really cool outcomes and ideas, that they're contributing to an organisation that's really effective and doing really great things for the world if we can use psychology for that 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 sounded like something that i really wanted to be involved in um, so i um kind of pursued my honors um, my honors yeah my honors research project um, with sharon parker who then became my phd supervisor um, and it was actually through kind of getting to know sharon um, and her colleagues and the work that they did 
that made me think, you know, I initially wanted to go down the, the more, um, you know, to become a, a registered endorsed organizational psychologist to go work in organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw what Sharon was doing in terms of research um, and that very much challenged the stereotype that I held of what it meant to do research. Um, you know, I kind of thought of someone just kind of sitting in the corner of university in a very dark room, just reading and writing and not really having much contact with the outside world. But getting to meet Sharon and seeing the work that her and her colleagues did really transformed that that view of what research is. Um, because she was doing the, you know, the really rigorous, well-designed, comprehensive research um, with all the different, different kind of academic principles. But she was doing so in partnership with different organisations. She was doing research that was based off problems that they were facing or questions that they had about how to improve what they were doing. Um, And she was also doing some consultancy or sort of advisory work, whether it be um, with local government or with other private organisations. She just really seemed, um, you know, to manage and to have that perfect mix of doing the research, but also translating the research. Um, Mm -hmm. And that really excited me. Um, And so that's how I pursued my PhD with her and now um, in a postdoctoral position still with her. Um, at the Centre for Transformative Work Design within the Future of Work Institute. That's brilliant. And it's really interesting to see how you came from a psychology that you would typically think is, like you said, mm. in, a, in a clinical mm. room to where you mm-hmm. are right now. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, I'm sure a lot of people would love to get involved in research that you're involved in right now. So how can one get involved in like the future of work research, what are the qualification or the background that's needed for yeah, being sure. what you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, um, if you're interested in being the person who's sort of conducting this research, um, you know, like I mentioned, so my, my undergraduate degree was in psychology. I actually did my PhD so still at sort of the interface of psychology and management, but in the business school, um, mm-hmm. Um, others who have done similar research have also pursued their PhD um, in the School of Psychology. Um, and so, yeah, generally, if you're interested in being a researcher in a university, um, you need a PhD is sort of the basic qualification that you'll need. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of this kind of broader topic of future of work research, I mean, there are so many different disciplines that have really important insights to offer um, in addition to psychology, whether it be um, you know, economics um, or people um, with expertise relating to actually building the technology, whether it be computer science or engineering or... Um, so, yeah, I think there's, there's the two parts. It's if you want to be a researcher, it's about pursuing that PhD. Um, and like I said, pursuing it with really thinking about your career from day one and how you're setting yourself up to be a good researcher in the field that you want to be in. Mm-hmm. But also there, in terms of disciplinarity, there are a huge range of disciplines, um, as there should be, that are contributing to thinking about what's the future of work going to look like and how can we not just yet be passive and let it happen, but how can we set ourselves up for success um, in the future of work? Um, So, yeah, I think a lot of different really exciting opportunities. um, And and it's, um, yeah, there's a lot to choose from, I think. Um, And I think everyone in their own way is making a contribution to this, whether or not they're you know, in a future of work institute um, or whether they're just doing, you know, doing their work um, in an organisation. I think everyone is shaping it in some small way. Um, but yeah, my, my path in particular has been a PhD research oriented path in my field. Beautiful. 
So you were talking about how we spend a lot of time in work as a day-to-day lives. Uh, like me just thinking about it just struck me. Oh my God. Yes. A lot of people five days a week, nine to five, they're mm-hmm. not with their family, but they're with their work family. Yeah, so definitely. Do you believe there needs to be like a significant change in the work culture or should it be as it is right now for people to feel more excited to go to work other than the fact that what what they're doing is what they're passionate about? Mm, Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's a balance, right? Like you see some examples, um, you know, of the Googles of the world who are, you know, increasingly moving towards this approach of how can we bring everything that you would ever possibly need into the workplace, whether it's breakfast and a gym and somewhere to hang out after work. Um, and I think there's definitely a, you know, that can be taken to an extreme where I don't think work should be everything. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, you know, there is absolutely a need for balance between what you do at work and everything else that should be very, very important to you that you do outside of work, whether it's family, friends or hobbies. Um, so definitely not, not, not an advocate of, um, you know, living for work, but exactly like you said, I, I think it's something like 60% of our waking hours um, we spend at work. Um, and so I think that if it's a really unfortunate, um, I think it's really unfortunate if, if people are really in the situation of dreading going to work, um, whether it's because of micromanaging bosses or it's work that they find really repetitive and boring, or it's work where they feel like, you know, I have these skills that I could be contributing to the organization, but I'm not. Um, all those experiences of misfit or understimulation. Um, you know, there's even preliminary evidence, particularly with those very boring um, sort of repetitive jobs. There, there's some preliminary evidence to show how that actually affects your, you know, the way your brain develops over time and maybe even associated with um, uh, either early onset or increased severity of things like Alzheimer's. So, you know, it's important for you physiologically and for your health. Um, and, you know, you can think about that in terms of the relationship between stress and cardiovascular health. But just from a, um, you know, fulfillment, enjoyment, um, having a great life perspective, um, having a good experience at work, I think is really important. I think the challenge is, um, I, I would hope that there would not be many people who would disagree with that. Um, opinion necessarily but it's about the challenge of okay I agree with that but how do I make that happen in my organization Um, I know that my employees are stressed or I know I would like to give them more autonomy in the work that they do but what if they do the wrong thing or what if I give this person a bit more autonomy and then someone else wants it and then how do I manage that Um, Mm -hmm. you know we it's it's not often the case that you have an organizational psychologist who's in a management role in an organization So how can we make sure that people who are making these decisions and also the employees who have the opportunity to try and create those changes themselves are equipped with evidence-based understandings of the best way to create positive culture and positive experiences at work. Um, I think that's really hard. Um, And I think that's the work that, you know, organizational psychologists like the ones we have at FAWI are doing, researchers such as myself are trying to create information and evidence to help support um, organizations. But, you know, such a huge part of it is um, making that knowledge available, but also as we're seeing, I think particularly in COVID, um, change management and resistance to change. 
um, both resistance to change in terms of individuals who, you know, the way that our brains are wired, we love sticking to routines, we like continuing what we've always been doing, but also change management at an institutional level. Um, it's really hard to make changes in an organizational structure or policies and practices, or even at, um, you know, at a national level. It's really hard to change things. Um, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of information management and championing and bringing people along. And so I think that's something that we've seen in COVID in the sense of, you know, as horrible of a situation as it has been, it's forced organizations to change. Um, in many ways, I think people are seeing for the better, you know, the benefits of things like increasing flexibility and maybe having at least one day a week where we work from home. Um, that kind of took out that, to an extent, the, the resistance to change part of the equation. Um, maybe there were some more hitches in terms of change management because it was quite rapid. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's just been such an interesting, um, you know, as a researcher with all these things, you always think it's very interesting, um, even though it's perhaps not, it's not an ideal situation, but um, it is nonetheless has been interesting to see how um, it has created that necessity to um, yeah, facilitate this particular change in the workplace. Um, so yeah, so I think absolutely, I would love to see, and I think we're, we're, we're getting better in general around the importance of people being engaged and happy and fulfilled at work. Um, but I definitely think we need to continue to move in that direction. Um, and as horrible as it has been, I hope that these changes that have been somewhat forced during COVID um, will help to propel that a little bit further. I completely agree. Yeah. And since you brought up, brought up COVID, um, how has your personal life and your work life changed due to the pandemic per se? Like how has the yeah. PhD world, the research world changed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was, um, I think I've overall, um, again, been very lucky. Um, I was kind of in peak PhD hermit mode um, when COVID, <laughs> kind of, I suppose, hit. Um, I was already you know, in academia and, and in general in the PhD, depending on what you're doing. I'm not very, like I'm obviously not based in the lab, um, you mm -hmm. know, running experiments all the time. Um, so, in my field in particular, but also in academia more generally, we have a lot of generally flexibility around, um, again, though, yes, definitely depending on the support of your, your um, supervisor and your colleagues. So it's de definitely unique to different institutions, but um, at least I had a lot, a lot of flexibility. I was in peak PhD hermit modes. I was working from home a lot, just kind of glued to my laptop. Mm -hmm. um, so I personally um, was very lucky in that I wasn't it didn't force any change on me, I suppose. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit more, um, I think implicitly it added to the, the stress. Um, you know, I think even for people who are lucky enough to not have, you know, to not be personally at risk of any health issues or not to have any family or friends who are at risk, um, you know, it's still not pleasant to, to exist in a world in which this is happening. Um, but overall, I was lucky in the sense that yeah, I didn't necessarily disrupt or, or change any of my work routines. Um, and as a centre and as an institute, we were um, able to work quite well um, flexibly. So, you know, via Zoom and working from home and running our usual seminars online um, all worked mm -hmm. quite well. I think we're very, the nature of what we do is not particularly dependent on face-to-face -face interactions. Um, so, yeah, I think I've been very lucky. Um, but as I think most people have, I think it also made me realise that as much as I love having the flexibility to work from home, I miss people. <laughs> um, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. I, would, yeah, I would, I would, and I think a lot of academics would probably classify themselves as introverts. Um, mm -hmm. I like my alone time and I need space, I need quiet. 
but I um, definitely missed um, the casual conversations with my colleagues, um, having a break over lunch, um, you know, those little interactions that give you a sense of um, connectedness and social belonging and just a break that doesn't involve staring at my computer. Um, yeah. Definitely missed that. So yeah, a bit of positive and, and uh, made me appreciate more um, the things that we've been lucky enough in Western Australia to have back now. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely understand. Being mm-hmm. a master's student myself, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I can't believe how much time. Like every time I look at my phone and it shows me the screen time, it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, <laughs> I, I feel bad for my eyes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> just going through the whole COVID topic again. We are mm-hmm. going through some harsh economic times as well as a society. Um, so do you have any advice for students who are going into workforce or current employees who are already in the workforce feeling this unease? Um, do you have any advice for them? Mm, um, I suppose, yeah, just to, to the first caveat, my advice would be similar to what I said about um, my PhD advice. Um, um, in the same way that I was lucky in my PhD to be surrounded by, you know, supportive and empowering colleagues and um, supervisors, I've been very lucky again during COVID that I've um, been able to continue my work um, in an employed position um, at the Future of Work Institute. So somewhat coming from a place of um, privilege and, and, and being very lucky and very fortunate. Um, but just, I suppose, in general, what I have found um, in that position and also in pursuing other positions um, post this, um, I found that, yes, you know, my research experience is important, my research expertise, um, you know, being published, all those things that are um, indicative of a successful PhD, if there is such thing, um, are important. But as I was kind of touching on a little bit earlier, you know, I pursued things outside my PhD um, not necessarily with a with an attitude of I'm going to chuck this on my CV, but um, you know, for example, I um, initially, um, as I think a lot of PhDs do um, change, um, I was initially going to pursue my PhD around kind of the psychology of incubator programs in helping um, entrepreneurs to be more successful entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was what my my PhD was going to be on, and I thought this sounds interesting, but I know nothing about entrepreneurship how can I learn more about what entrepreneurship actually looks like on a day-to-day basis? Um, and so I got involved with Bloom, um, which is a innovation hub, co-working space, sort of support system for young people who are starting a business. Um, mm-hmm. I started as a volunteer there um, to learn more about what entrepreneurship looks like and the different factors or things that might help entrepreneurs be more successful. Um, and pretty shortly after that, my PhD changed directions completely. Um, my supervisor said, hey, we've got this really great opportunity to do some work with operating theatre teams. Um, would you be interested? I said, yes, please. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, so my PhD shifted completely, but I loved I loved the people at Bloom. I loved the environment there. Um, I loved my um, colleagues who are other volunteers who are working there. I loved the autonomy that I was given to jump straight into leadership roles, to shape the organization. I got to interact with you know, really cool, um, exciting um, entrepreneurs and the businesses they were working on in terms of within Bloom, but also in our kind of, um, in other co-working hubs around Perth. Um, you know, I really just kind of was kind of thrust into a whole new world um, and a whole new set of experiences that 
were often terrifying, but um, mm -hmm. which I think equipped me with a really great set of skills that made me better at what I was doing in my PhD, um, but that also set me up really well um, in terms of applying for, for jobs as well. Um, so yeah, as, as much as it's, it's a PhD is very consuming, <laughs> um, I think finding time to do at least one other thing, um, whether it's more hobby based or whether it's volunteering, um, not only I think will make you better at, at your PhD and make you more employable, but will also, um, I think be great for your mental health. Um, if you're, if you become your PhD and if your life becomes your PhD, um, I think it's a very, very, it's sustainable for a short period of time, but I don't think it's sustainable in the long term. And I think you do a better PhD if you have other things and it's not kind of completely your life. Um, so yeah, so I think for, for, for students either, not necessarily doing a PhD, um, but from that kind of looking for jobs perspective, um, at least in my experience, again, from a privileged position, but I found that those extracurricular experiences, um, you know, within academia, whether it's organizing workshops or, or kind of more broadly, um, have really contributed to me having um, what I think is a great set of transferable skills and networks as well. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and then I think I suppose a little bit more broadly for current employees, I mean, the only advice I can offer is, again, the value of social support, um, friends mm -hmm. and family who are your cheerleaders and, and also reminding you that, that you are not your job as much as I think it should be a positive experience. It's not everything. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's, yeah, just, I think that's something that's been resounding in most people's experiences has been, it's really tough, but support um, and support networks is, is super important. Uh, yeah, that's great advice, actually. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, like you said, you need a life outside of your work in order to feel fulfilled even in your work life. Mm -hmm. Currently, um, I know that you've been uh, volunteering at the Red Cross and also mm -hmm. you, you used to sing. So, mm -hmm. right now, are you doing anything extracurricular outside of your work? Yeah, so I'm still, still doing both of those things. So, I still... Um, Beautiful. Actually, up uh, Pucks, the Perth Undergraduate Choral Society, where um, I haven't been involved recently, there've been a couple of, they've been trying some different things around how to do the whole choir thing while still being social distance and, and being safe um, in that yeah. respect. Um, so I haven't been involved in the last couple of rehearsals, um, but um, uh, I still very much involved with Red Cross. Um, I've been involved with them, I think, for, for a few for a few, few years now, since around about 2013. Um, wow. and I love it so much. Um, it's been a very, I, I love, but because when, so Red Cross, I'm particularly involved in um, emergency services. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are obviously a number of different organizations that operate in that space. If you think of a, a cyclone or a storm or a, um, or bushfires in particular, you know, we have the firefighters who come in, we have the, you know, the SES and all these people doing really, really important jobs. Um, um, but what I love about what Red Cross does in that context is it's really about having that. And it comes back to what we were just talking about around social support and that human side of things is Red Cross as an organization um, is there to provide that human touch, that human support, um, which we know um, helps people to recover better in the long term um, from being exposed to these sorts of events. So I just have loved to, to be involved in that side of um, emergency services. Um, and, you know, coincidentally, again, not planned, but have loved that um, 
although you don't need to have a psychology background to, to be involved in Red Cross, you don't have to have a psychology background to be a trainer and train volunteers in what we call psychological first aid. It's still been great to see how that is transferable to, to this setting. So, yeah, and I've, and, and I mean, again, I think what I've also loved is the opportunity to interact with people who I just wouldn't normally interact with, whether it be people whose doors we're knocking on to check that they're okay after a um, natural disaster or, you know, volunteers who, are, yeah, just people that I wouldn't have otherwise met either at uni or in my work or in, in pucks. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just been such a great experience um, and I've loved, and I hope that I will continue to be involved um, with Red Cross for a long time to come. That's great. Um, I've actually seen the work you've done in terms of research and it's a mm. beautiful resume, I must say. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> so like among all of them, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment so far? Oh, I think I have to, I have to say finishing my PhD. Um, <laughs> it was only, yeah, it was only a couple of months ago, actually, that I got kind of the the official okay and that it got passed. I think there's a lot of, you know, we typically put a lot of um, emphasis on the submission and when you finish writing it and you submit it to your examiners, but they are still kind of, I submitted it and then realized that there's still a lot of tension around what will they say? You know, will they like it? Oh, they could pick apart this. They could pick apart that. But when I got the okay, I realized how much um, I still had kind of been holding my breath that whole time over those few months um, while I was waiting on my examiner's feedback. So yeah, so proud um, of finishing my PhD and all the, you know, when I think about how far I've come, um, sounds very cliche, but personally and professionally, um, Mm -hmm. since I started my PhD, I'm really proud of who I've become, but also what I've worked through. Yeah, just the transformation that that I've um, kind of gone through up to this point. So definitely, um, I think as of as of right now, um, I would say that finishing my PhD is definitely my biggest accomplishment. Beautiful, and um, I hope you have many, many more to come. <laughs> Thank you. Um, just a random question. So once you finish your PhD, how did you celebrate? Oh, so it's a bit of a challenging time. I think anyone who's had a birthday during COVID can relate oh, that it's a... Uh, <laughs> You want to celebrate and uh, I mean the you know the graduation ceremonies understandably at UWA are still on hold to comply with social distancing and keep the community safe so I think what I will probably do actually although I've had a couple of celebration dinners and drinks with family and friends is I think once the um, once I'm able to attend a graduation ceremony maybe I'll have a little small get together but I'm also gonna I've jumped pretty much straight into this um, postdoctoral position that I'm in at the moment but I've got a few months off um, couple of months off at the end of the year um exciting yes I'm very much looking forward to it it's been a while since I've had a significant chunk of time completely (laughs) off um so I'm thinking of doing a little road trip um maybe down south or up north even to to Coral Bay or something like that um yeah explore explore WA a little bit more I think is my plan to celebrate that's beautiful I hope you enjoy your time thank you I'm sure I will uh and Last question, um, would you change anything about your career? Oh, um, I don't, I don't think there's anything that I, there's nothing that I regret about, you know, the degrees that I've chosen to pursue or again, the kind of extracurricular things I've done. I think sometimes it's easy to look back on a PhD and think, 
oh, I could have been so much more efficient or what did I even do in the first year? How did I, you know, what you can, it's very easy, particularly when you're in it to think I have no tangible thing to show for either the couple of weeks I've spent reading um, or the weeks I've spent trying to figure out how to design an experiment or a survey or, or an interview protocol. Mm-hmm. It's often very hard to see, particularly in the early days, a tran- tangible outcome. Um, so I think sometimes I'm tempted to look back at my PhD and think if I just I decided from day one that I was going to do this and then I did that and then I published that, surely I could have done it in three years, two years or something like that. Um, but um, if I'm more realistic and also a bit more kind to myself, um, mm-hmm. all of those weeks of reading or hours of trying to figure out how to design my studies um, I learnt something, even if I spent a week reading down a particular line of theory that ended up kind of leading to a decision of, okay, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that felt like time wasted, like I learnt things through that. Um, I brought into my understanding. I learnt how to evaluate um, different options for making those decisions. Um, so, so I think even though I look back and sometimes think, oh, I feel like I was a little bit inefficient, um, could have done better, could have tried harder, could have pushed harder. Um, I'm very, very happy with the different um, experiences that I had, the things that I learned and the people that I met along the way. Um, again, I still think some of it's down to just luck. I've been very lucky and very fortunate um, and definitely a function of the great environment I've been in um, at UWA and at Curtin. But yeah, I I definitely wouldn't do anything differently. I'm very, very happy with how things have gone. That's great to listen to. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you, Georgia, for joining me today. I hope whoever listens to your story today will get inspired to do better things and maybe pursue a PhD. Yeah, if if anyone wants to chat about it, um, I'm more, again, I think it's sometimes easy to give advice from this side of the PhD fence, but I'm more than happy to chat to anyone further about my experience or if anyone just wants someone to kind of bounce some ideas or thoughts off, um, please do reach out. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And listeners, if you haven't already, please watch George's talk or watch it again because it's very interesting. <laughs> um, you can find out more about TEDxUWA through our Facebook and Instagram at TEDxUWA or email us at hello at TEDxUWA.com. Our next event is happening very soon in Ezone Central on the 10th of September at 6 p.m. This event features three brilliant scientists working on physiology of lactation, herbicide development, and epigenome editing. The speaker lineup and tickets link can be found on our social media pages in addition to links to our previous episodes of this podcast. This is our second last episode on the UWA Alumni Voices podcast for this year. Make sure to tune in to our last episode for this year in two weeks time when we interview our 2019 conference speaker, Conrad Hogg. With that, we hope you all have a great day and thanks for listening.